In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christos and Christ is So this is the fourth Sunday of the Holy Resurrection, of which the uh, Church celebrates the Holy Fifty Days, in which the um, the uh, our Lord Jesus Christ stayed with the Holy Apostles for forty days, and then also in anticipation of the Pentecost. So. Um, the gospel starts off today with a reminder that Christ is the light of the world. He says, a little while longer and the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Our Lord often reminds us that he is the light of the world and our relationship with that light. First, that he is the light of life, as in uh, John 1, 4, that shines upon every man that comes into the world, and that the light of the world um, and our light must shine. Uh, our light is our actions, and uh, now more than ever, I think the world needs that light to be shined, uh, or uh, to shown in front of uh, everyone in, in the whole world. That we must also work in the light while the night, when the night is coming when no one else can work. So long as we are alive, it is day, and that time, it, and now is the time to work. The time is coming, though, when we will no longer be alive in our flesh, and that is now the nighttime, and we are not allowed to work during that time. So we shouldn't, therefore, let this night overtake us without us being ready, and that we should work while we have that light still in us. Here we're asked to believe in the light and to walk in the light in today's gospel. Walking in the light means this, basically the spiritual journey that we all go through. From the time we're baptized to the time we, we die, we begin that spiritual journey. And like any journey, the journey has a goal. And it has a path. And so let's talk a little bit about what that goal is. Um, we all know the answer to that one is that the goal, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when we have lots of goals in our life, you know that if you talk to somebody who doesn't have goals in his life, his life becomes aimless, right? And so you tell that person, whether it's a high school or a college person, hey, set a lofty goal so that you can have a meaningful life. So what is the loftiest goal that a human being can have? Is it his career? Is it, his is it the type of person he marries? Uh, how he raises the children? Those are all very lofty goals. But the loftiest of all goals, of course, is to reach God himself. To seek him, to know him, to love him, to live with him, to abide in him and to obtain a personal relationship with him. That is the, the goal and the loftiest goal and the greatest goal that a human being can ever hope to achieve, and that's what we should set before us. <clears throat> but of course there are false goals, and we all know some of them. Satan has a world and a systemic uh, approach of kind of diverting that goal away from God. Uh, he'll do all he can to take us away from that. Um, so he bombards us and, and all humanity with false aims. And some of them in today's time, although you know you read some of the church fathers and how the early church struggled with this, though like now we have social media and iPhones and things like that, they had similar type, well without the technology, but they had similar types of distractions even then. So the tools that Satan uses is the same. Um, he uses the self and one's ego, he uses bodily addictions, food, alcohol, drugs, uh, bodily uh, pleasures. He, he uses all sorts of these other things, uh, the pride of life, to distract us from the spiritual goal. But other goals too that are lofty as well, like school and our career can become a goal that takes us away from God. Um, I think if anyone wants to work harder and, and work more, we're blessed in a land that there's plenty of work, 
but um, it could take us away because we can pretty much work until we drop dead, right? And so it's important for us to force the issue in regards to creating time for God and time for uh, bringing our families closer to Him. It may be counterintuitive, but there are also false goals as it relates to the spiritual life. Um, some tools that the church has employed to bring us closer to God, sometimes without noticing and subtly they become goals themselves and that's where we make a mistake. For example, hymns, uh, you know, somebody who really dives deep into the hymns, they make it the goal. Fasting itself is not a goal, it is a tool. So when we look at fasting and we're prideful about fasting itself, then fasting has lost its purpose. It really is just a tool to bring us closer to God. There's this one story about how one person uh, was really proud about his fasting and he um, kind of looked down on others who did not fast. And so his father confessor made him sit down and eat meat during fasting so that he purposely could never judge anyone else. And so that was for him a bigger blessing and spiritual benefit than him actually fasting and looking down upon others. Because fasting itself is not the goal. Also knowledge, we often, knowledge is wonderful and it brings us closer to God, but when it itself becomes the goal, it loses, it loses its effect and it loses its power. Even prayer itself, prayer is a tool for us to get closer to God, it is not the goal itself. So we often employ prayer and we need to pray often, but we should never lose the goals that the goal is to become closer to God. Everything around the church, from the icons to the hymns to the incense, to everything in your spiritual life and to reading the Bible, all of it has that one uh, goal, is to reach Christ. So that is the end of the spiritual journey, is to get closer to God. So how do we start? One may say, we don't have, I don't have enough love in my heart for God. Obviously you have love because you're in church and, you're, and we're all in church and we're struggling in the spiritual warfares. But some people excel in love great, right? So that they can stay up all night in prayer and not even feel it. But how do we begin that spiritual journey if our love for Christ is not perfected? The Bible has a remedy in Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of eternal damnation, fear of retributions in this life, fear of exposure. Fear is a powerful motivator. Um, it's not an appealing discussion, of course, to talk about the fear of God. We always talk about the love of God which exists. But it's important to know that the Bible is clear that we should also have this healthy type of fear of God, except, which is acceptable to God, but fear is not where God wants us to be. It's a beginning stage that quickly goes away as we progress in the spiritual journey, but it is a quick way to jumpstart your spiritual life, and believe me, God does not want us to stay there for long, but it is an effective tool as we'll talk about. Because one's character is made up of the pattern of behavior, things that we do again and again, that is what we are. That's how, what defines us. So the fear of God prompts us to have a character and personality in line with our renewed nature that we received at baptism. It's a shield against falling, it perfects holiness, it can, it's continual advancement in spiritual life. Um, so that fearfulness of, uh, that fear of God is a healthy thing to allow to enter into our hearts and again God who does not want us to live in that fear <clears throat> will quickly turn that fear into love of God. So what are some of the causes why Christians are not don't have that fear of God that the Bible so clearly defines? <clears throat> I think the first thing is that we don't recognize ourselves. Sometimes 
um, and, you know, it's a false humility that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm humble and I, and I show this fake humility to others. But really to understand oneself is to know that we're all sinners, right? Even in the height of, and at the height of our strength and the height of our holiness, we are but sinners. And to know that is itself not just a fake humility, but it is just to know the reality of the situation, which is we are at God's mercy and we're at his feet. And so that feeling, that feeling um, is always leading to the fear of God and also to uh, a, a true humility. Another reason is familiarity. We often times, um, you might have heard the phrase, uh, the feeling of familiarity breeds contempt. When we feel that we're familiar with something, we don't have that same awe and respect towards, towards something. I'll give you a couple of examples. Like a child, if you take a child to the desert, because you can't see the stars here, but if you take a, that child to the desert and look at the stars, it's full of amazement and wonder. But an old man who's seen the stars and walks under the stars every night, he doesn't have that same level of respect and awe for the stars as they exist. Um, I went to go see the pyramids once, and you know, um, I don't see it every day, obviously. So I went and saw it, and I was amazed at this structure that was built, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. But then I look over to the right. There's this gentleman selling cokes for literally like a nickel, right? He doesn't even care about the, the fact that he's standing next to one of the seven wonders of the world because he sees it every day. So that feeling of familiarity whether uh, towards things that are human created or even things that God himself has created, creates this feeling of familiarity and over time we kind of lose that respect and awe. But with things related to God, that's never the case. God is never familiar. If you ask the angels who have been with Christ, who knows how long, thousands and upon thousands of years, they, if you ask them, do you know God? And they'll say, we have just scratched the surface. God is infinite, he is deep, he is ever exciting, ever new for us. He makes things new on a daily basis. We never lose that feeling of um, that respect and awe, and he's awesome in front of our eyes at all times, and we never have that feeling of familiarity. And having and reminding that ourselves of that always causes that fear and that freshness to enter into our heart. Another reason for loss of fear, fearfulness is we don't put the day of judgment in front of our eyes. So. Uh, the righteous judgment of God who will render each one according to his works and his deeds, as it says in Romans 2.5, and also in Hebrews. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his peace, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But again, fear is but a spiritual stage at the beginning and God does not want us to stay there in fact fear develops into love God does not want us to live in fear um, and he and it says in, in the epistles that perfect love casts out fear perfect love casts out fear so as we progress in the spiritual journey our love of God will will increase through the fear that our we have that fear fixes our behavior that behavior uh, increases in our uh, love for God and that love casts out fear so the love of God grows in one's as one conduct is directed towards holiness so understanding it's a it's a triad understanding conduct one's behavior and love those three reciprocally produce each other so as one increases 
in proper conduct and spiritual conduct, his love and his understanding increase. As one increases in understanding, his conduct and love increase, and vice versa. As one increases in love for God, he understands more and his conduct is automatically improved. And so the, the fear of God kickstarts that spiritual journey. It's a healthy thing. And as we progress, the, um, the love of God takes over and it kind of burns away the fear and we're left with that ultimate motivator in one's spiritual life, which is the love of God. But as Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how do we allow this healthy fear to come into our hearts? Let, let God have an awesomeness in our eyes, which induces us to be ashamed before him when we sin. Um, stand with reverence and prayer so that the fear of God enters into our heart. We, we, when we pray, we, our body prays with us. We don't just slouch on the couch. We stand up. We do prostrations. This allows that reverence to enter into our heart. Respect the Holy Bible in your house. Uh, always keep it open. Always keep it used. Don't pile things on top of it. Um, and always have it at arm's length, which you're using. So as that fear of God begins that spiritual journey, we start walking in the light, as today's gospel says. We start by forcing ourselves to holiness, right? Um, we have to force the issue. We have to start a war, start a spiritual warfare within ourselves. So we use the fear of God, uh, even when it's not easy, it will become easier as holiness becomes habitual in our life. And an important spiritual rule is that when we walk in that light, the biggest war we'll face is not the wars from the outside, it's not the wars from the, wars from the world, it's not war, wars from society, it's not wars from Satan himself. The biggest wars we'll face as we attempt to walk in the light is the war that comes from our own hearts. And if we win this internal war, we will easily win any external war. I'll tell you one of the stories from the Desert Fathers where one of the monks was during fasting, he was trying to cheat a little bit, and he was trying to cook an egg in his cell. And, and as he was walk, as the abbot of the monastery was walking by, he started smelling that egg, and so he kind of opened the door and saw the, the monk standing there with a spoon, an egg on the spoon, and using a candle to cook the egg. And so he goes, hey, you know, this, this is not right, young man. You know, this, you gotta start fasting. And he goes, yes, I'm sorry, Holy Father. Uh, the, the devil made me do it. And so he goes, it's okay, put it away, and let's, let, let's begin fasting together. And as he was walking out, the abbot, who's a holy person, saw a little demon in the corner. And, and he paused, and he said, what? and he took out the cross, he made the sign of the cross, he said, I command you, what are you doing here? He said, I was actually about, the demon responded, saying, I was actually about to leave. But when I saw this monk accusing me that I made him do this, I came back to defend myself. I was actually taking notes. That was very creative of him to cook an egg on a spoon with a candle. I'm gonna use that against your other monks. And so, <laughs> so we learned the lesson that we are sometimes our own worst enemy. Uh, the Desert Fathers are great reading. You should all read. So as we progress then, we continue to walk um, in the light and we progress towards our spiritual journey. There are three important points that I wanna to stress today. The first one is our senses. As we walk in the light, we have to protect our senses, protect the gates of your spirit. What, what you think about, what you contemplate upon, what your life, your being becomes, starts with what you allow to enter into your being through your senses. Guard them aggressively. Be mindful of where you put your senses. 
Uh, we all know the causes of offenses. Let's not put our senses in the middle of those causes. Uh, friends, friendships are probably one of the, the most challenging ones. Make sure your friendships are holy. Uh, entertainment, the types of entertainment we choose, internet, television, etc. Technology can be a benefit and a blessing, but it can also be hurtful if we're not using it properly. So once we see something, or hear something, or smell something, it resides in our mind. And then after that, after some time of contemplation, it resides in our hearts and our affections. And then after that, it resides in our being. It becomes part of who we are. And then it reflects in our actions. But our actions start with what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste. Those actions lead to those things that are, we allow our senses to encounter leads to our actions. Then it will yield its fruit. And that fruit will either be salvation or the loss of it. In Matthew 6.22, our Lord says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, if the things you see are good, your whole body will be full of light. If you focus your eyes, for example, on scripture and on the liturgy and on the writings of the fathers and on spiritual gatherings and on hymns, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore that light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? As we progress down that spiritual journey, as we walk in the light, we will stumble. That's just a common uh, trait of all saints such as yourselves we, as we progress in the spiritual journey we will stumble there's not one saint or prophet or martyr that progressed in the spiritual life that did not stumble along the way so an important thing to take with you in this journey is hope hope grants strength and joy during the times of the spiritual journey for repentance and purity a person who has hope he knows that God will pick him up every time he falls and help him stand straight even though he falls 70 times 7 times a day no matter what the sin is. Uh, we fall many times during the spiritual journey. We should always be assured that God will pick us back up again. The measure of a saint then is not whether or not the saint sins. All saints, even saints, are sinners. That they get back up again and they continue down that spiritual struggle. In Micah chapter 7 verse 8, I love this prayer. When you fall, you should pray this. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. Resist, therefore, when, it, when, you, when you stumble, and always have hope, and what, because what you do often defines who you are. So never despair. Number three is active nourishment. So as you progress down this journey, you might have a few snacks with you to take with you so you don't get hungry and you don't lose your energy. Uh, so what is that spiritual nourishment on this spiritual journey? Reading the Bible, reading the church fathers. Anyone who has read the church fathers have never been the same person after reading it. I strongly encourage you, if you have not explored the world of the church fathers, uh, to begin so they're easily accessible online and if you need some recommendations of some beginner books let uh, let myself know I, I'd be glad to recommend some for you but no one who's read the church fathers has has come out the same person he's always come out a much better stronger person um, it is amazing that when you read the scripture you have 
giants like St. John Chrysostom or St. Basil, the patron of this church, to come and to explain to you with his writings that have miraculously survived to us to this day. And thankfully, we live in a culture where the language we speak has a lot of translations. English is one of the languages in the world where the original Greek was translated. So we have lots and lots of books uh, for our benefits. Another nourishment, of course, is prayer, spiritual meetings, the liturgy that you will partake today. St. Cyril likens taking communion as life-giving. He uses that a lot, and he, a lot of those words are in our liturgy, that this, this, this communion that we take is life-giving, and it renews our life. It renews not just our physical life, but our spiritual life, our mental state, our, uh, our whole being, our bodies, minds, and spirits. The, the communion renews it, and through our unity with them. Hymns and spiritual songs, and of course service. Service is a powerful way to nourish your spiritual life. It is a shortcut, I should say, to uh, really uh, encountering God, because God is always serving, he's always active, and to be a partaker of that service, you see, you get a first, like, first row ticket to seeing God in action. So if you don't have any service, and I'm not just saying just Sunday school, but any type of service in the church, there's a lot of need, and that is a quick way to really develop your relationship with God and to really see Him active in your life as well in the life of others. So may God grant us the strength to fight that spiritual war, and may He even fight for us and encourage us along the way in the spiritual journey as we walk in the light of the gospel today uh, commands us, and glory be to God forever. Amen.